0: This might be yours. Do you want this? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to preach a Spanish letter there. Pastor Jeff. Amado pastor y amigos. Estamos acá. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you so much for this time of worship and praise that we have, Lord, I thank you that you're speaking to us freshly. God, I pray that... You would continue to stir up the gifts, the gifts of prophecy, God, the gifts of tongues and interpretation. God, I pray that You would prepare all of us, Lord, to be in the midst of Your presence as You stir the gifts up. God, I pray that You would prepare us as You would pour out boldness on Your saints who maybe have been sitting on a gift, uh, timid to share that with the body of Christ. God, we desire to hear from You. We desire to see Your hand moving the way You want. Father, all of Your gifts, all the things that You do are to bring You glory. Father, we pray that that is the only thing that happens, God, is that You would receive glory. Your church would be strengthened. Ministry would occur. The lost would be saved. The captives be set free. And all that you might be glorified. God, that is our desire. That is our goal. Father, I pray that you would bless this time in the Word. Expand our minds. Expand our hearts. Expand our spirit man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus name hallelujah amen amen I'm gonna to try to do part two of a series I started a few weeks ago praise on praise and worship and uh, I, you know a few weeks ago I was a little under the weather and I was kind of foggy in my head so I don't remember exactly what I shared but I remember some of the points and I wanted to kind of uh, briefly ex, ex- review us what we talked about. Spoke a little bit a few weeks ago about the differences between praise and worship. I said uh, that praise is often horizontal. That means it goes out, out to the people, talking about the things of God. I also said that worship was mostly vertical. Almost entirely vertical worship is when we talk to God directly and we give Him our love. We tell Him things directly to Him. Um. Worship can be outward. Worship can be inward. But worship is definitely toward. Okay? It can be outward. We can worship outwardly. We can worship inwardly. But it has to be toward God. Praise, by definition, is almost entirely outward. Gave the definition I can't praise somebody inside my head. Remember that talking about Matthew. Uh, if if you had done something good, it has to be outward. Um, gave the definition. In the Old Testament, praise was halal. The, the, the Hebrew word was halal. It meant to shine forth, to boast. It was, it was clamorously foolish. In the New Testament worship, Old Testament worship was shakah. And that, that literally means to bow down or to lay down to prostrate oneself before. It came with Humility. That was worship in Old Testament. Worship in the New Testament, the word was proskuneo. And that was a strange word for a lot of us. It was a lot of fun because it comes from the two words, both dog and to go towards. And it really meant like what a dog does when the master comes home, he gets excited. And and, and we said, you know, like the dog licking his master. And and that was worship, New Testament worship. I gave a few reasons quickly last week of why we should make praising God and worshiping God part of our lifestyle. One, we were created to worship God. There's something in all of us that just wants to worship. It's just natural to worship. In fact, it's, it's, um, the issue is not, will I worship? The issue is, what will I worship? If you're sitting in here this morning going, oh, I don't know if I want to worship. No, you're worshiping something because you were created to do it. The question is, what are you worshiping? Talked about um, that we were created for it. The Scriptures teach us that God inhabits the praises of His people. And we need His presence. That's another reason that we need to go in and praise and worship the Lord, because God inhabits His praises. Another reason is there's fullness of joy. In Psalm 1611 it says, In His presence is fullness of joy. You know, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, and Judah means praise. It's all about being fullness of joy in His presence. Um, Another reason we're supposed to worship and praise is that He is worthy. We really need no other reasons, but He is worthy of our praise. He deserves it. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, Chronicles says. We were instructed to praise Him. Throughout the Word of God, we're instructed. In Psalm 150, just for example, it says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 8.2, From the lips of infants I have ordained praise. We're instructed to give praise to our God. It's something He's desiring and for the other reason, because in His presence is fullness of joy. Another reason we're supposed to praise Him is that praise is fitting. Praise is fitting for the righteous. We're supposed to praise Him. Psalm 31 31 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. It's just something that we should do. It's fitting. I also said that it was a good practice that worshiping and praising God is a good practice because for eternity, when we leave this place for eternity, we'll praise and worship Him. Constantly throwing down our crowns and bowing down. And, and I, I want to encourage you to, to begin to just press into those times of worship. I, I understand that that sometimes worship and praise is difficult. It's, it's uh, hard to enter into. And, and you might go, man, I don't even know if I want to worship forever. I mean, I can barely handle 45 minutes of it or 30 minutes. You know, sometimes we come into a service where there's a a worship service praise going on and we're like, when is this going to get over? I want to get to the preaching. But when the presence of God shows up in the middle of praising and worshiping God and you're swept away and you're caught up in it, that's what the goal is, that's the desire. And when, when you get into that moment, that's when you can go, I could stay here forever. You know, we get, begin to go, yeah, that's when you sing that song that we used to sing a lot. I could sing of your love forever. It's, it's in those moments when you're really face to face and in His presence. We need to get used to praise and worship because we are going to do it for a long time. But press in, past just the things that we do and get in to see the heart of God, another thing that I said last week and, and um, I talked about how the the tabernacle and go ahead and put up this is great the first slide Matthew, go click back there, would you since my my clicker left <laughs> there's a slideshow. click on the first click on the first slide on the slideshow. Oh there he goes. he's back. And I talked about how in the wilderness, the the tabernacle was built. And I've got a diagram later of the tabernacle. And uh, we'll get the first one up. Let's show the little tabernacle there in the middle. And that they put all the people, God instructed all the people. He instructed three tribes to go north of the tabernacle. (laughs) It's kind of small. It is kind of small. I think it's up there. So much for... It's really small. Is it not going to go? There we go. Go ahead and click one more time. Okay, so that's the tabernacle. Go ahead and click again. And he instructed three tribes to go north of the tabernacle. There should be three tribes coming up. There. And it was those three tribes. And then he instructed three more tribes to go to the east, three more to the south, and three more to the west. And you look, and that's how many they numbered. There was 157,000 to the north, 186 to the east, 151 to the south, and 108,000. And the people, because of of the way they would do it, they would line directly out to the east. They wouldn't go off in the middle. And as they formed these things, you notice that the north and the south are almost equal. The west is short, and the east is long. And God was showing right there, go ahead and click the last time, that in the middle of everything... Is the cross in the middle of everything God does? Is the central theme is the cross of Christ, and worship is all about the cross. Everything we live is about giving honor and glory to God, and so we talked a little bit about that this morning. I want to focus a, a couple, a, a little bit further, and we'll we'll see if we need a part three on this uh, message. But uh, this morning I want to focus a little bit on what are the requirements? What should our posture be as we come to God? Are there requirements that we need to fulfill in order to worship Him? What are the postures and positions of worship and praise? And thirdly, is there a methodology? What's the methodology? What things are we supposed to employ as as we praise and worship Him? As we come to God... Psalm 102 says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Psalm 104 says, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. In Psalm 95, and, and there are so many Scriptures, I, I had to chop out pages of Scripture references. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. I just read the Scripture. Uh, Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Let's go ahead and put up the picture of the, of the tabernacle if we could. This is kind of a, an idea of the tabernacle that was in the wilderness. The temple was similar, was a little bit different, and the gray side uh, around is the courts and uh, the The lighter gray there is actually the tent of meeting, and these are the things that were, were employed in the worship. There was an altar of burnt offering out there. Then there was a the bronze laver. The bronze laver was, was a dish. It was probably round. Um, they don't know exactly how big it was in the tabernacle. In the Solomon's temple, it was four cubits, which is about six feet across. And there was four of them. They were huge, but they were a place that they were bronze. And so you actually, in the tabernacle, could use it to look into to see if you were clean. And you would wash the priest would wash. And then they would enter in and, and they would go into the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And um, there's one more. Cl- click one more. This next one actually is pretty much to scale. Okay. So, so this is how big the courts were. Um, and we have all of the, the implements. But what happened is, is to the east was the gates. That's where they would come into the gates. And I will enter his gates, the gates of the tabernacle, with thanksgiving in my heart. It's not just a song that we used to sing, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. For all those who've been in the church for a few years, you remember that one, right? And, um, or, or the other one that was a, a few years later, the song that we sang that, that became really uh, important to, to us in, in the days, in the late 80s, um, was uh, Take Me Past the Outer Courts. Into your holy place. The holy place was where the the priest would go in, and then originally Moses would go in and meet with God, and the heir would go in and meet with God in the most holy. Take me past the outer courts, this outer thing. They wanted to go in, but here was the point. The, the, uh, so the, the people would come in, and, and God commanded, He says, you know, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. But we're just in the outside area here. So as we begin to come in, not yet, net, yet meeting with God, we're supposed to go in thankfully, with a thankful heart, mm-hmm. praising God. Mm-hmm. And, and we're supposed to come corporately and, and individually, both, giving Him thanks and praise. Um, and again, remember, praise is outward. And there's a reason, there's a lot of reasons that praise is outward, but one of the reasons, uh, and it hit me this week um, with my kids. My kids are really thankful. Uh, we, we try to raise them to be thankful. If they're ever with you and having lunch or something, and they don't say thank you, smack them. No, <laughs> let me know. Um, we, you know. We we raise them to be thankful. And so even yesterday, our our little boy Samuel, they went to the lake and stuff. And on the way back, little three-year-old Samuel went. Mommy, thank you for taking us to the lake. You know, they're thankful, but here's one of the things that happens. When Samuel says, Thank you, Mama, guess what? The other kids go, Yeah, thanks, Mom. And they start being thankful too because they heard somebody else and it encouraged them to be thankful. Oh. Is there something we can learn? As we praise and give thanks outwardly, the people around us are encouraged to go, you know what, there are good things to be thankful for. It's gotta be, it's helpful to be outward. Even when you're going through the Starbucks line and, and maybe you're not too happy and the person at Starbucks is, you know, this, this even happened this week, you know, and, 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 and the person at Starbucks has just got thankfulness and I says, you know, I was having a bad day, but I gave, you know, I gave it to God and whatever it was. That'll begin to encourage you and even convict you and say, you know what? There is things to be thankful for. So we enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise and we we begin to shine forth and celebrate. But see, we haven't yet come into the Holy of Holies. From there, from these outside places, we begin to change our attitude. See, the praise begins to change as we get closer towards the tabernacle, towards the place where we're going to meet with God. The first thing in the tabernacle was that there was an altar, the altar of burnt offering. And that altar was a place that the priest would have to make a sacrifice for sins. And a sacrifice needed to be made so that we could be forgiven of sins. And so once a year they would make the, 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 the big atonement, the, the sin offering, on the altar the priest would make that so that he could go in to the Holy of Holies. And so we find that we, the first thing has to be done is there has to be a sacrifice for our sins. That we need to be forgiven. And as, as they approached closer, after that, they'd go to the bronze laver and they would make sure that they were clean. They'd make sure that there was nothing defiling them. And they would wash, making sure that they were, uh, that they were appropriate to enter in to the holy place. And then once in the holy place, there was many priests were allowed there, but only one was allowed into the most holy. Only one and once a year. But there was a change. It became very personal. It began to be, you know, yeah, we're out here in the praise, but as I'm going into this, I'm really not thinking about everyone else around me. I'm thinking about what I'm going to encounter with God in just a moment. Something else would happen though when the high priest would go into the Most Holy, he went in with fear and trepidation. History records that, that uh, the, the high priest would actually have a rope tied around him and there was bells on the bottom of his garment. And as he went into the most holy place, because you couldn't go in there. You can't go in there with sin and you can't go in there. If if you went in there with any sin on your life, if you weren't acceptable to God in that moment, you would drop dead. But nobody could go in and get you out because you were dead and they can't go in there. And so they would listen for the bells to tinkle on the robes. And if the if the tinkling of the bells stopped for very long, they would pull him out by the rope. There was a real fear that went along with their uh, the understanding that God is holy. God is holy. And they went in. And they went in humbly. I can't imagine that if, if I'm about to go into a room and, and the thought is I could die, that I'm going to go in brazen and puffed up, but I'm going to go in humbly. And the whole word worship means to humble yourself, to lay to lay down, to bow down. And so we see, we start to come in joyfully and thankfully and with praise, and it begins to change to a very personal thing, with fear and trepidation. Not a of fear of, of, of judgment, but understanding and honoring of God. Now I want to go back to praise for just a few minutes here, and then we're going to go into the worship side. Um, so we go joyfully and thankfully with praise. What are the forms of praise? Talked about. We maybe talk about some methodology and some postures. Well, we, we know we, we covered that the, the requirements is that we need to come joyfully and we need to come with a thankful heart. We're not supposed to come with a thankful heart because everything's good. See, sometimes things are difficult in life, but we're thankful for the things that God has given. And we praise Him not because of how things are going for me, but we praise Him because of who He is. See, if we're only praising for the thing, how it's going with me, then it's really itself, self. It's all about me. It's about the self. Oh, if it's good for me, then I'll praise you. If it's bad for me, I won't. We praise God for who He is, not for what He's done for me. It just makes it easier at times when you see the blessings of your life. Remember the old hymn, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one. So, so what are some of the forms of praise? And, and this could go on. We could spend a ton of time here. I'm going to kind of go quick, but I want to make sure we understand that some of the forms of praise that we uh, do here, are they scriptural? Are they biblical? Is it something we can do? Um, one of the things we're most comfortable with, I think, is, is just simply singing. we are probably all across the board say, I can do a little bit of singing. I don't sing well, so I sing quietly. But we're supposed to sing. Uh, if you're writing notes, uh, for those uh, listening on sermons, Psalm 33.1. Psalm 9, 1 and 2, verse 11 in Psalm 9, Psalm 47, 6 and 7 all talk about, I will sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. And there was just so many scriptures of, of, of references where we're supposed to sing because it's something we, I, I think that we're all okay with. Even, even in the church of Christ, we're okay with singing. So, so we're not going to spend a lot of time, but I want to go to another one that maybe is a little bit more difficult. How about dancing? Dancing. Psalm one forty nine three says, Let them praise His name with dancing. Ooh. You know, I don't know what spiritual dancing looks like exactly. It's definitely not going to be about self, but it's going to be a celebratory moment of dancing. Some of you are much more coordinated than than uh, me and others, and so your dancing might look wonderful. Mine just kind of was sort of a jump and a woo! And you just kind of get a little dance thing going on. And uh, it's it's kind of nice because you know teenage dancing is really that now it's a mosh pit you know they just kind of <laughs> pogo around and and so we can dance like that. Second uh, Samuel 16, 6.14 says David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord, and he danced and he celebrated and he was out there dancing. I believe dances is extremely appropriate. Psalm one fifty, which is a command, says praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. Una, tambourine. <laughs> got to praise Him with the tambourine and with the dance. So we're commanded. Una's got a thing with tambourines. <laughs> we praise Him with declarations. <laughs> praise Him with declarations. Sometimes you might be in a service and you hear somebody kind of talking. Talking. Or shouting out to God, declaring, and you're like, will you be quiet, I'm trying to sing. No, the Bible says that we can do that too. It's declarations. It says, 1 Chronicles 16 says, sing to Him, sing praise to Him. But then it says, tell of all His wonderful acts. So praise can include just telling, talking, declaring outward. You can be at Starbucks and praise God by telling somebody of the goodness of God. As for me, Psalm 71, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness. It's outward. We're going to speak it. We're going to declare it to people. We're going to declare it to God. We should declare the mighty works. So we have singing and dancing and declarations, we have um, playing instruments. Playing instruments too many scriptures i just did you know you think about the the hebrew instruments they use they they use the harp and the lyre and they use trumpets and and shofar different types of trumpets and they use little flutes and they use drums and they use cymbals and read the psalms and you can't get away from instrumentation to praise him on the instruments to play skillfully the bible actually says play skillfully psalm 33 71, 81, uh, 144. If you're writing little notes, you can jot them if you want to go look. But playing instruments, now they had different instruments. They had the the, the 10-stringed lyre. Well, we have a 6-string guitar and a 4-string bass. That equals 10, so we're going to play those. But, but instrumentation, to praise it, that's an acceptable way. And one of the things I put after that, I said, playing loudly. You know... The praise in Bible times was loud. It was, You can't blow a shofar quietly. Have you ever tried to bl- see someone blow a shofar quietly? Okay, we're going to praise Him. It was loud. And they would sing and celebrate. And, and, and I'm sure that, that those who didn't like the loud, they probably went to the back a little bit further and they said, okay, we're going to praise Him, but it's, you know, I'm going to praise Him from back here because it hurts my ears and we're going to deal with it. We don't want to be obnoxious, but it wasn't always quiet. You know, praise isn't always somber. Now, there's times for quiet, but there's also times for celebration. So sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it needs to be quiet. It needs to be in order. Well, it's a whole nother thing. Shouting. It's okay to shout. Not just the preacher, but we can shout to God. Psalm 47. Psalm 47. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Shouting is good. It throws you off a little bit in a worship service. I know that when you're, you're worshiping and praising and, and this, and the person next to you starts shouting, you know, and, whoa! It wakes you up, But but it's an appropriate form of praise. Keep smiling. Keep smiling. Psalm 66 shout with joy to God, all the earth. I will sing and shout for joy. I sing praise to you, whom you have redeemed. I, whom you have redeemed. You know, the other one that most of us are really comfortable with is clapping. We bring the sacrifice of praise. We can clap. You know there are, there is only one scripture reference that I find in the Bible about clapping. Well, there's there's three or four about clapping your hand over your mouth so you don't speak poorly and speak bad things, right? Three or four of those, and uh, we need to do more of this. But there is only one that I could find. I know Pastor Floyd knows more about actually clapping as a form of praise, in that Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Interesting that in the average church, clapping is something we're very comfortable to do with only one scripture backing it, and dancing is something we're not with six, seven, eight references to dancing. Is it more about us being comfortable? Hmm. Now, rejoicing. Now, this is something that's really exciting. Whoever speaks, a foreign language, I I believe that the principles of really understanding you know the Hebrew and Greek, it, it helps because you've experienced when you've tried to say a word and then there's multiple ways to say it, or you've gone to another country and you say, how do you say in English? And they go, there's really not a great translation for that. And when you read the Bible, it was written in Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek. And but rejoicing is something you find throughout the Psalms, right? I mean, you, you, would you agree this rejoicing, joy and rejoicing is a theme throughout the book of Psalms. One of the ways to, to translate, one of, the, one of the words that we use translate rejoice in, in uh, Hebrew is heal or heal. Um, it's kind of G-I-H-L, G-I-Y-L and it it was simply translated most of the time joy or rejoice but the literal meaning meant means to spin around spin around you know like when people get excited and they go woohoo! that's the literal word and i'm going to give a picture to go i don't know if that's really what it's supposed to be saying there is a song that you know, most of you, that has that word, that Hebrew word in it. And it goes like this. Hava, Hava Nagila, Hava Nagila, Nagila. I will rejoice. Now, have you got a picture of them singing that? They're sitting down like this going, Hava, Hava Nagila. I don't get that picture. It's rejoicing. It's celebration. And that's what God is talking about. He says, rejoice. It's not, I'm happy, but it's, I'm rejoicing. Now, sometimes your physical body can't rejoice outwardly like you do inwardly. That's okay. But is your heart rejoicing? Truly? You know. And I want to let, I want to speak this. It's important. You can't judge somebody else whether they're rejoicing. That's going to be between them and God. Our, our job is simply to say, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to praise you with the song. I'm going to praise you with the dance. I'm going to praise you with the shouts. I'm going to give you thanks. And because I know my limitations, I'm going to hop. And I'm going to do some things because I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to get excited. Not because I feel like it, but because God commands me. When I come and I praise God, even this morning, it's not always because I feel so good inside and I just feel like jumping but sometimes I need to celebrate the goodness of God to help me focus and understand that He is God, that He never falls off the throne, and that all my circumstances and all my situations are taken care of, and I rejoice in Him. I'm thankful that He is God and I am not. You know what's exciting about that word? Here's a side note. In the book of Zephaniah 3.17, there's there's a number of songs that people have been singing for the last few years. And and you may go, where do they get that principle? We sing one of them a couple of them here. One of them is um that song says, You dance over me while I am unaware. And those are you know, they're fun and it's a nice song, but it's scriptural, and you go, Well, where is that? Does he dance over us? In Zephaniah three seventeen, it says that he will now this is the strange he will joy over you with singing. Joy. And that's one of the translations. He will joy over you with singing. You know, the translators were translating the best that they could and what they wanted to put down there. But that joy is, nagila, gil. I will rejoice and spin and dance over you with singing. God does that to us. I don't know why. I look at myself in the mirror. I know my heart and my my sins, and yet God rejoices and He spins and celebrates over us. How much more should we rejoice and dance and spin over Him? Now, at any time you talk about praise and worship, one of the things that comes up is, yeah, but all the Scriptures you're using are Old Testament you ever think that? You go, well, yeah, but you're talking about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Now, what about in the New Testament? In the New Testament, they don't even find any times of instruments being used. Because of that, some people say we shouldn't use instruments. What portion of the Bible... Did the New Testament saints Peter and James? Did they use more? Do you think they used the Old Testament more or the New Testament? So, raise your hand if you think New Testament. Oh, good! It was a trick question. They used the Old and only Testament. They wrote the New Testament. Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled the law. He didn't tear out the back of the book and say, We don't need it anymore. He fulfilled the law. The saints in the New Testament, many of the, there was both the, Greek, the, the Greeks, the Gentiles, and there was the Jews, but both of those, they praised. They knew how to dance and celebrate. There was instrumentation in temple worship until 70 AD. Now, if, if you know anything about Jewish uh, history or, or now, they don't really use... It's Caden. He escaped. <laughs> the person in the nursery is going, one, two, three, four... Ah! You know, in in modern day there's not a lot of instrumentation there's not instrumentation in the in the temple worship for the Jews, but here's here's what I have read and understand that after 70 A.D. with the destruction of their temple, they no longer used instrumentations to celebrate. It was such a heavy moment that they stopped using it. They were sad. They were discouraged. And then, because of, with time, as it went on, it just became a thing that they said, "We can use instruments in secular life, but we're not going to use it in accordance with religion." Because their temple was destroyed as a mark, and it was a mark of sadness and discouragement. My temple lives. Amen. I am not discouraged. Jesus is the high priest and He lives in me and He says, I am the temple. And so instrumentation... I thoroughly believe there's nothing to, to believe that, that Peter, who was a Jew and all these people, that they were Jews, that the moment that they found Christ says, oh, one of the things we should stop doing is using instruments. No, they just continued on doing what they had done their whole life. They celebrated. They danced. They played their lyres and their, their lutes and all the things that they had. <sighs> hmm. So we don't have a lot of instruction about praising, but I want to, I want to hit the, one of the sections that we do see a little bit written. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter five. You know, another reason I am backtracking. Another reason I believe that uh, that that praise and the music and things were loud. I've never met a quiet Jew. I mean, they live out loud. They're 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 forward. They're not they don't hide their their thinking. They wear their life. That's very outward. Part of this is culture, I understand, but but we're looking to find a biblical approach and, and to press pa- past cultural things that keep us away from the things that God wants. See, culture culture is just culture. It's where you grow up. It's not necessarily bad, and it's not necessarily good. Just because it's your culture, sometimes we'll sit and go, "Well, you know, this is where I live. And this is my culture." And you know, Jesus, though he was sinless, sinned against his own culture often for righteousness' sake to do the things that God wanted him to do. That's that's another message. So we won't go go on there. Hebrew, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter five, verse nineteen. It says, "Don't be drunk." Eighteen, "Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit." Verse nineteen, "Speaking to one another in psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for the things, uh, for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." We're not going to spend a long time here, but this is one of the, the passage we see what we're supposed to sing: psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Well, we know what the Psalms were, so there's not a lot of wondering about that. We're supposed to sing the Psalms. And Hebrew poetry, and this is going to connect in all three of these actually, Hebrew poetry could all be sung. All of it could be sung and often was. It was something, again, that they understood and that they just did. They would read these poems, but they would sing. Now, the, the, the thing is, is they would just sing. Some of them had tunes that you were supposed to sing them to. As you read the Psalms, it says, To the tune of... you right there. There was actually a, 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 a written, understandable tune. But some of the Psalms, as poetry, were also just sung in the Hebrew fashion, which was just to speak it musically. To speak it musically. And there wouldn't even always be repeats. it would just be musically, and they would speak these, "I will sing to the Lord." And they would just make it they would begin to sing. Hebrew cantillation, they would just begin to sing. So those were the psalms. So we're going to sing the psalms. We're going to sing hymns, which were just songs written at the time, um, probably songs of praise, and then it says spiritual songs. Now the word there is ouda, Udais. And and it meant chance. It really means chance. Probably that Hebrew cantillation, which you still hear today, as the Jews would sing, and they would just begin to chant things, uh, chanting prayers and chanting songs. And Paul, I believe, he was probably saying, "But you'll sing those spiritual songs. You'll chant those prayers and those songs, and it'll be a new song." That God is going to give, but that's a spiritual song. Chanting, like, and, and it, you know, it's interesting. Chanting is always, every time I even hear the word chant, I go, ooh, evil. I've allowed my, my culture to affect so much. You know, the Hebrews chanted, they chanted, and they worshiped God, and they would sing and chant and celebrate. But, uh, so we're supposed to sing the Psalms and sing new songs of praise and sing those songs that God gives us, inspires to us and, and just to sing them. Ed began to do that this morning as he was leading, just begin to sing a new song and just worship. And he didn't know the words he, God was giving them to him or he was, maybe he was even making them up as his personal praise. It doesn't always have to be God that gives you the words. You can give the words to God. God, I love you, I need you, I praise you. might not sound Hebrew, but it will be what you give to God. And so these are the, the forms of praise covered a little bit. And, and it's important to go, I don't, I don't believe it changed in the New Testament. We're supposed to continue on giving God praise and celebration. How much more we have to celebrate now than they did then. They, we see it all. We see Christ. I want to spend a little bit of time moving back now to the worship. So we've gone in and... and, and thank you for leaving that up. That's great. We went in with praise and thanksgiving and celebration and we began to make our sacrifices and we go in to where worship happens and the worship for us is when we go face to face with God. Because, see, there's a difference between then and now. Between then and now, then only the high priest could go into the most holy. But under Jesus, under the new covenant that he made, everything has changed. There's one more slide. Let's go ahead and look at that. Old Testament Jewish worship, it was afar off. But New Testament worship is drawing near. Hebrews 10. Old Testament worship, we couldn't approach at any time. We had to go special times. In, in the New Testament, God says, Come in the time of need. In the Old Testament, only one was allowed to pass through the veil. You weren't allowed to pass through the veil. But in the New, under Jesus, under the New Covenant, we can enter into the holiest through the veil. As I said, they would approach in fear and trembling. But today we can draw near with boldness. But I want—I want to draw something on that. The boldness is not boldness in ourselves; it's boldness in Him. It's not about me being bold to walk into the throne of God. I still need to go in, understanding who God is. And that's gonna. There's that—that fear and trepidation. God, you are a holy God, and I am not. I want to read the scripture because, and I believe it says the. Well, there's a different one. In Hebrews 4.16, and this is what we often quote, He says, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. But the rest of that Scripture says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can enter boldly because of the sacrifice, but when we go in there, we're looking for mercy and grace. We're not looking and going in boldly just for the sense of boldness we, they used to have to come first with a sin offering, but we know that Jesus is the once and all, for all sin offering. See, the stop, the stop at the altar is done. Jesus was sacrificed. In the Old Testament, none is to approach empty handed, but in the New Testament, we're supposed to offer him our praise continually. And I like this last, last one Old Testament worship involved a dead. Burnt offering. But according to Romans 12.1, we are a living offering, a living sacrifice. That's what's required now. Us, not a dead animal, but us as a living sacrifice to God. That's the difference between Old and New Testament worship. See, we are the temple we're the temple. No longer do we worship at, that, at the side of the tabernacle in the temple. But 1 Corinthians 3.17 says that Christ lives in us and we are His temple. We know that the veil... Go go back to the, the picture of the temple, if you could. The little line over next to the, the Most Holy, That was that's the veil and you couldn't go back there. But we know in the book of Mark that Jesus... The, the temple veil was rent from top to bottom. It was no longer stopping us from going into the Holy of Holies. We can go into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10 says that Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins. As we go in there, the next thing was the bronze laver where we needed to go to make sure that we were clean. We would look into it to say, is there anything on me? And then we could wash that off. But the New Testament form, Jesus' form of worship, Ephesians 5.26 and Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God judges us. The Word is what we look into today to find out if we're clean or dirty. And it judges us. And in Ephesians it says that we're washed through the water, through the Word. Jesus is the Word. He washes us and He judges us. So we don't make that outward step at the bronze laver anymore. And the word laver simply means to wash. We need to go to the Word and we need to go to Jesus and look intently into Jesus and say, is there anything separate? You made the sacrifice. You made the sacrifice, but now I come to you and say, is there anything dirty on me? Cleanse me. Because I want to come in and worship You today. I want to come in into Your very presence. And I don't want anything dirty on me. But only You can judge my heart. Judge Judge it according to the Word. And cleanse me, Lord God. And then we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. As we go in. As we go in to worship so we're, we've caused past praise and now we're beginning to go into worship. That personal face-to-face time. We need to make sure we're cleansed. We need to go in boldly, but we can only go in boldly if we do what Romans 13 says. We need to be clothed in Christ. The priest had ephods and things that they had to wear, but we clothe ourselves in Christ. His righteousness. His forgiveness. His life. We shouldn't come to worship boldly in our sin. But listen, here's what's interesting. We can come into praise knowing who He is. We celebrate Him. We didn't have to get cleansed before we praised Him for who He is. But we can't go into worship, to intimacy, without first letting Him cleanse us. We have to be humble. clothing ourselves in Christ. It's by Him and through Him that we can enter in and have that relationship with God. I believe the whole idea of worship is summed up in the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, I believe, is the ultimate picture of what worship is. And I find the permission to be so, to say that in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to the end, to 33. It's talking about wives and husbands, and we use this wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives. And we get wonderful directions for a husband and a wife. And then towards the end, it says, I speak a mystery. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We are the bride of Christ. He is our husband. Let's go back to the Song of Solomon, if you will, and say, that is an incredible picture of a husband and a wife. That is Christ and His church, and it's intimate. It's so incredibly intimate. It's not in there to be this just crazy thing that, you know, as you're raising your kids, you kind of go, should we let them read the Song of Solomon yet? <laughs> not yet. It's not in there just to be, you know, this, this lustful book, lustful in the meaning of desirous and intimacy. It's a picture of God and His people, how He loves us and how we love Him. It becomes intimate. It becomes something very special. It becomes personal. Where we go in and we spend that time and we block off the rest of the world and we can love Him. Talks about kissing. What's a kiss from God look like? I felt a few. What do these things look like with God? The only way to find out is to begin to spend intimate time with God and I don't, I don't want to go there too too long but I want to help you get there because in an intimate moment if if there was going to be an intimate time between your spouse and you you might light some candles you would prepare things it will be very special what do we do to have intimacy with Christ do we spend the time do we prepare our hearts Making things just right to say, I, I just want to let you know how much I love you. I believe that as adults, we could let our imaginations run in this moment to say, wow, intimacy with a husband and a wife and, and just then just begin to say, God, and I've got a teaching on this. Uh, maybe I can do it as we do a, a time in marriage, but, but, but where you could just let it go and say, God, I want to be intimate with you like that. I want to know you as you fully know me. God wants to have a love relationship with us. Celebration is outside. We go in next to the inner courts and worship intimacy. I speak a great mystery. Father, You've given us the whole Word of God, Your whole counsel, to instruct us, to encourage us, to show us great mysteries. God, I thank You for the encouragement to enter into the Holy of Holies. I thank You, God, that You have made the sacrifice for me. I thank you that you give me your word and your spirit to convict me of sin and to judge me, to show me the things that are unpleasing to you. And I thank you that only through the word, through the son that I'm clean. God, I would pray that each of us would find new meaning in praise and celebration. God, I pray that we would be able to push past our, our, our cultural things or our our fears and, and, and begin to outwardly declare, sing, shout, play, dance, celebrate. But Father, all those things for you and not for a show. All those things for you and not for me. Lord, I pray that we would not stop there in the progression, God, but we would come in and begin and begin the process to come into the Holy of Holies. You have made the way, God. But we need to recognize each step that You are the sacrifice for our sins. That You are the One who cleanses us. God, as we go in and there's a sweet-smelling aroma, Christ in us, We can go into the Holy of Holies, face to face. But God, help us, teach us to go in humbly, yet with boldness, because you made the way. And Lord, I pray that each of us would find intimacy with you. Help us to press past the things that hinder us from being intimate in all of our ways. Help us to be healed of the things that prevent us to be intimate with our spouses. Or have intimate phileo friendship with somebody else. Help us to loosen our hearts, God. Touch our hearts so that we might become intimate people, mostly intimate with You, God. I thank you so much as you draw us closer, as you draw us near, draw us deeper, deeper, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.